When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. Day to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> And welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Able Mono League Podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, joined this week by Ken Levin and Thomas Henderson. How you guys doing? I'm doing well. Good, good. Alright, so let's just jump right into things with Promote Extend Trade. And on this day back in 1789, George Washington, our first president, he made a proclamation, which I guess would now be an executive order, but he made one of the most important and impactful and meaningful proclamations in, in I think, American history. He proclaimed Thursday, the 26th day of November, to be a day of public Thanksgiving. And I don't know about you guys, but Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. It's definitely a good one. Yeah, Abraham Lincoln made it uh, an official holiday, but it was George Washington's idea, so thank you, George Washington. And since there's way too many things to just list, and everybody does it different anyway, what Thanksgiving sides are we going to promote, extend, or trade? Promote mashed potatoes. That's what I did. That's what I did. Nice. I could just eat that. Yes. Like corn and stuff and all that. Like I don't even need the turkey to be honest with you. Like I like the turkey, but the sides are where it's at for me. Same. Sometimes I'll like load up and I'll be like, "Gosh, oh, shit, no, I need the turkey. It's the protein." Yeah. yeah. So, like, focus <laughs> here. I do the same. It's I'm just ex- so good. The sides. Yeah. yeah. Standing stuffing because love stuffing. Stuffing's pretty great. Oh, nice. <laughs> And I'm trading the cranberry stuff. Get rid of that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm never a fan of that either. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Yeah, yeah I really can't. I was also thinking about trading the yams. I'm not a yam person. I like yams. Not a yam fan. No, not a yam <laughs> fan. But I can tolerate yams. Whereas the cranberry sauce, sliced stuff, I, I just can't even look at it. Yeah, I like cranberry sauce, just not as much as some other things. Mm, that's fair. Carby. 
All right, so first things first, Syracuse Mets, they played their final series of the 2021 season this past week, taking on the first base Buffalo Bisons, and they kind of got demolished. Things did not get off to an auspicious start, with Syracuse dropping Game 1 of the series on Wednesday 7-3, thanks to a terrible start by Jordan Yamamoto. Game 2, rinse and repeat, 8-5 loss. Mark Payton, who had a multi-hit game in the first game, and one of those hits was a homer, he had another multi-hit game, and this time, both of those hits were homers. But Adam Aller was the starting pitcher this time, and he had a poor start, and he was the one that sunk the team. So, Friday, what do you know? Same exact thing. Though this time they got crushed 12-1, to with Zach Godley being the starting pitcher goat of the night. Saturday... Another loss. This time it wasn't completely embarrassing, though. It was a 4-1 to loss. That's at least a respectful loss. You know, the game was somewhat close, and the Syracuse Mets were at least kind of in it. So it all came down to the game on Sunday, last game of the season, with Syracuse end the year ignominiously going 0-5 in their final series and getting swept or would they maintain a little bit of dignity and salvage at least one game of the series and send the fans home happy, well, the Syracuse fans anyway, home happy on the last day of the 2021 season? Well, as it turns out, neither. Due to rain, the game was canceled. The end. Oh, well. That, mo- that that might be the most Metzian way to end a season. That is vintage 1962 Mets right there. You, you can't make it up. Let's go Mets, baby. Love the Mets. All right, so let's get into some news because we got a lot to talk about, surprisingly. Um, first up, and really the most Mets-specific news... Broke very early last week, so it's kind of late at this point, but that's all right. Are the organizational awards that were given out at the beginning of last week? Uh, the Mets handed out four awards. Technically, there were six of them, but two are for player development people, you know, staff and personnel. So four awards to the two top domestic players, position player and pitcher. And then two of the top DSL players, position player and pitcher. So starting with first, we'll, we'll start with the Mets player development position player of the year award. A couple of solid options that the Mets could have gone with, but in the end, it went to Francisco Alvarez. He appeared in 99 games, split with St. Lucie at the beginning of the year, and then Brooklyn from late May until the end. And he hit a combined 272, 388, 554 with 24 home runs and a 55 to 89 walk to strike ratio. And more specifically at Brooklyn where he spent the majority of the season where he played 84 of his 99 games. He hit 247, 351, 538 with a Brooklyn Cyclones franchise record now, 22 homers and 40 walks to 82 strikeouts. So he's he's 19 years old. He turns 20 in November. And despite basically being almost four years younger than the league average, 3.9 to be exact, he had a bat that was 32% better than league average. And, you know, his defense is – it's harder to quantify qualified defense, but he, he is solid behind the dish. Um, you know, some other guys obviously in the system had solid years. Vientos, Beatty, arguably, Kalili. But – would you have gone with anybody else over Alvarez? I don't think so. I think he's the one who deserves it the most when you factor in, because I think you do have to factor in his age. Um, the fact that he's doing what he was doing and also way younger than everyone else around him, I think it's a little more impressive than, like, not not to take away from anyone else, but, like, clearly was great and Beatty was great, but Alvarez was great and also not supposed to be there yet (laughs) you know if that makes sense and a catcher yeah that's true that's true 
Yeah, I feel like he's the obvious choice uh, for it. Um, so I'm happy it went to him. And also that's nice to award him for a good, like, I think that's his first full season, right? Nice yeah. way to, like, be like, hey, this is how good you were immediately for us, you know? <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, so now the next one was the Mets Player Development Pitcher of the Year, and that went to Adam Aller, who the Mets acquired in the minor league part five draft in uh, December of 2019 and kind of got forgotten about since the 2020 season never happened. But he started the season with the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. He got promoted to the Syracuse Mets in, like, mid-August or so, and he finished the season there in, in Syracuse. And he combined post-accumulative 345 ERA in exactly 120 innings. He allowed 93 hits, he walked 47, and he struck out 138. And he actually won, if you want to look at it like this, he won the, the triple crown, the Mets minor league system triple crown. Uh, <laughs> he had nine wins, and that was tied with Josh Walker and Jared Eikhoff, most in the system. Jesus. Yeah, his his ERA was lowest among qualified starters, and his 138 strikeouts were 28 more than the next guy on the list. So, did you see Adam Mahler having this kind of success? No, but, no. <laughs> like, it had to be someone like this, right? Like, after Allen went down and, like, Ian wasn't going to come back until, like, halfway through the season. It was always going to be someone we didn't expect, I think. I mean, there's really no one else in the system. Mm-hmm. Ginn is, Ginn is really the only other guy that you could make a case for. Uh, he had a 303 ERA and 92 innings with St. Lucie in Brooklyn. He allowed 75 hits, he walked 22, and he struck out 81. Um, he did give up fewer earned runs than Aller did. He gave up 36 earned runs to Aller's 46. But he did that in about 30 fewer innings. And then the rest of, you know, the accumulating stats, you know, strikeouts, walks, all that kind of stuff reflects that also. So, yeah, you know, you you could, you could, you know, Ginn had more success in the innings that he did pitch. But, I mean, Aller threw so many more innings than Ginn, you know, almost yeah. that. It's the same thing with when you talk about Cy Young's and Rookie of the Year. It's mostly those two that get that stuff because really MVPs, you don't really have the guys who don't play for large blocks of the season get yeah. recognition unless they're crazy good, you know? Yeah. But, like, you see it all the time with Cy Youngs and stuff, and, like, Jacob DeGrom was the best pitcher in baseball when he played, but he's not going to be the Cy Young, you know? Because he just didn't play enough, and that matters. Like, that level of availability and that level of being on the fieldness, it's, it, it matters. It's, you can't quantify it, and you can't, like, put it in a chart, and you can't really, like, be like, hey, He's injury above replacement or whatever, but also, like, they have to play. And Aller did. He played all year. So it's not Ginn's fault either. <laughs> like, I'm not going to, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. he had Tommy John surgery. Like, okay, you know, it. that's like a rite of passage almost for a pitcher. But it was just unfortunate for him that he missed all that time. And hopefully next year he could win Organizational Pitcher of the Year, and we're not worried about this. And then we're having this conversation about Allen. When yeah, only yeah, yeah, that's true. You know? And also got to give credit to Aller. Like, he was a guy yeah, that was yeah. out of baseball. He wasn't a guy that was supposed to be good. Quote, unquote, was supposed to be good, you know? So yeah. having a solid season like he did, good for him. Ginn, yeah, totally if Ginn doesn't have this kind of success, then we're just like, oh, shit, come on. Yeah, he's literally like, a top one of the best pitching prospects in the system again. All right, so now we'll move on to the Mets Dominican Academy Position Player of the Year, and that went to a guy that probably is you know a name every Mets fan knows, Kevin Villaviencio. <laughs> Duh. Uh, he hit obvious first. He hit three oh seven. 373, 420, and 44 games at the DSL Mets. Uh, slugged one homer, stole 14 bases and 17 attempts, and had a 14 to 17 walk to strikeout ratio. So, 
Via Vicencio, uh, he was signed January 15th, earlier this year, the first day of the 2021-2022 international first, uh, free agent signing period. Wasn't a, a high-profile signing, and as a result, it is basically a, a black hole of information about there about, about it. Yeah. Um, really, the only thing I could say for sure, because even something as simple as like his weight and, and height is not actually listed anywhere on like BB Ref or his MILB page, but every source does say that he's from Guerrero Negro, so I can say for 100% certainty he is from Guerrero Negro. <laughs> And apparently Guerrero Negro is right on a saline lagoon that is noted for being a gray whale breeding ground. So Guerrero Negro is a big salt exporter in Mexico, and it's a big ecotourism hotspot. So the more you know. The more you know. I mean, I guess if we're going to, like, have any analysis at all about this, it's really hard to. But it's a low-money IFA signing that immediately was good in the system. That's always nice. Yeah, I mean... But, like, who the hell knows, you know? Exactly. At the end, it's DSL numbers. There's really... Like we say many times, it's better that he did good than bad, but it doesn't... None of it really matters. Almost completely arbitrary. Yeah. Especially not having any information about him. This guy could have been, you know, seen as a slugger, (laughs) and he has one home run. It's like, uh uh-oh. Yeah. It's just, at this stage, we just don't have information on these guys. Yeah. We can talk a little bit more, though, about the Mets Dominican Academy Pitcher of the Year, uh, Joel Diaz. Um, As as some of you guys might remember, the Mets did not sign a single player this, you know, past uh, IFA class that was... Uh, that got over a million dollars or even like high six figures. Uh, they instead spread all the money across a bunch of guys in like low six figures. But of all those guys, um, Mr. Diaz has one of the highest upsides. And in his first, uh, taste of professional baseball, he pitched 41, excuse me, 46.1 innings and he posted a 0.58 ERA. With 27 hits allowed, 9 walks, and 59 strikeouts. So again, you know, DSL stats, they're pretty worthless, but it's better than he did good than bad. Um, and, you know, we do have some kind of basic scouting reports about Diaz, and the stuff is pretty solid. When he was originally scouted by the Mets a couple of years ago, he's a little under 6 feet tall. He threw in the mid to high 80s. Now, a few years later, uh, he is 6'2", he throws in the low 90s, and he can occasionally touch 95. And there's still a little bit of projection left in his frame, so he might increase that velocity band, or he might hit the upper ends of it a little more frequently. But, uh, you know, good fastball, you'd like to see it. And then, in addition, he has a pretty good curveball for a 17-year-old. Um, he has a change-up that's bare bones, but it shows potential. And he can throw all three of those for strikes. So, you know, it's a good uh, framework for a pitcher. And looking at that profile, uh, hopefully he develops into the next Sixto Sanchez. You know, Sixto Sanchez is another right-hander from the same town, the Dominican. Had a good fastball, good curveball, and uh, a developing changeup a couple of years ago. And now look at him, so... It would be yep. nice if the Mets could develop a guy like that. Uh, always, like, the wild cards like that will always be a boon to the system if they pop. Mm-hmm. The odds of Joel Diaz becoming Sixto Sanchez? Mm, not great, but... Gotta be the riskiest profile there is, right? <laughs> yeah. Alright, so now some... Non-specific Mets news, but we'll tie it back to the Mets in the end. But uh, this week, ESPN, they published a, a long article about minor league living conditions the other day. Um, you know, whenever these kinds of things get published, they start making some waves uh, when it comes to the whole, you know, scandal that is minor league player wages and playing conditions. But then invariably the waves always die down. So, you know, maybe if 
there's enough of articles like this and enough waves, eventually something might get done. But um, Jun Lee, he, he sat down, he spoke with Kieran Lovegrove, who is a 27-year-old right-hander who is currently in the Angel system. He pitched for AA Rocket City this season. Um, basically, he was originally drafted by the Cleveland Indians out of Mission Viejo High School out in California, signed to a $400,000 signing bonus, third-round money. Um, after agent fees and taxes and whatever, he took home about $250,000, and that money dried up pretty quickly. And as the weeks turned into months and those months turned into years, as he's, you know, started progressing in his minor league career, he started developing anxiety. He started developing substance abuse problems. He started developing depression. And at one point he tried to kill himself. And the only reason why it didn't actually happen because he went through with it and he had the gun pressed against his head and everything was he forgot to shut the um, safety off. So. Uh, before we even move on, though, I do want to say that I do hear people out there talk about, you know, when they hear when they hear players that get like six figure bonuses or even more, you know, the millions of dollars and they don't have sympathy when that money runs out because, you know, these players spent it senselessly and stupidly and whatever. That's the worst mentality to have. Yep. I mean. When you were 18, okay. Yeah, they're kids. Right. Imagine you got a check for $250,000. What would you do with it? Like, they're just not ready for that money. <laughs> like, Right. Like, if I got a check for $250,000, the first thing I'd do, regardless of anything else going in my life, I'd get a, uh, I'd get a freaking Corvette or a Monte Carlo, you know, some kind of sports car. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, shit, like, there goes majority of my money. Before I even know it, you know? And it, it's also just like, you could get that bonus, but also, then it just, there's no saving for the future with the minor league system the way it's set up. Like, say that I get a six-figure bonus like we were talking about, which isn't like, as much as you could get, it's not millions and millions of dollars. You could struggle in the minors and then eat away at that, just like, surviving. and then. The next thing you know, you're out of baseball and you never got the payday. And also all of your bonus money went to like a hotel room. And then you're like, well, what that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it takes which, a really long time mm-hmm. to get to the big leagues. It's the same thing. Like when Kyler Murray was debating between going to the athletic, the, the athletics or getting drafted in the NFL, he's a multi multi-millionaire already, you know? And also, he's very good at football, so that helps. But and he's he's going to get paid a lot again when he's when his contract is when he's ready to in a few years when his contract's up. But still, even if he broke his leg in the first preseason game and never made money again, he would have made millions more than him toiling away in some Midwest town in in the athletic system. So like, I don't know, just, the money in baseball is just not there for these kids. Like, unless you're insanely good. Mm-hmm. So back to the story of Love Grove. Um, he basically, you know, like we were kind of saying, he attributed all of the issues that built up that led him to eventually literally pulling the trigger to the daily conditions that he had to go through and live through and, you know, every other monoleaguer out there has to go through. He was making shit money. He was living on fast food and junk food. He was... Living on air mattresses and apartment buildings and hotel rooms split with a bunch of other guys. Um, you know, it's not, not a good situation to be in. And he originally spoke out back in July. Uh, the story got a little bit of traction because he called out by name Art Moreno, the, the Angels owner. And he said, quote, that Moreno, quote, doesn't really give a shit about the winning side of baseball. And that, quote, Art Moreno wouldn't want his kids living like this, which is 100% true. You know, mm-hmm. you think you think Jeff Wilpon would want his, his son Wilpon, who got drafted to uh, be crammed in a room, living in a kitchen on an air mattress with six other guys? No. Living, not. you know, getting Taco Bell breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Of course not. No. Yep. 
Um, but part of Major League Baseball's takeover of the minor leagues last year was to help minor league players. And they like to tout in their press releases that, you know, salaries rose like 70% across the board as compared to 2019 or whatever. But you know what? It, it does, you know, if, if you have one cent and you double your one yeah. cent, you still have yeah. two cents. Thanks. Thanks for the up, thanks for the huge, uh, pay raise, you know? Yeah, exactly. In 2021, when you do all the math, um, from every level and everything like that, most minor leaguers made between $8,000 and $14,000 in 2021. The federal poverty line for most states is $13,000. So that means that the majority of minor leaguers, despite getting this great 70% bonus, you know, to their salaries, they're still living below the poverty line. And then obviously, you know, as if living below the poverty line isn't stressful enough, they are in a field where, you know, all your future earnings or whatever are based on your daily successes and failures. And these guys just are not given anywhere near enough the right tools to succeed, you know? How you they aren't given to- enough. They aren't given enough emotional, financial, or any type of support. No. By the organizations. Which doesn't make sense to me. Like, you should be putting your players in the best chance to be good. Because then that means you get more good players. Like, it just doesn't... We know why. It's... (laughs) I know what, yeah, but... (laughs) I was watching the Yankees game. The Yankees-Rays game this afternoon. Where the Yankees got just smacked around. And, um... You know, Michael K just kind of made a straight point when what's his name? JP Fi Oh yeah, I don't know how to say his last name. Yeah, I don't have it in front of me so I can't say it phonetically, but he was pitching for the race and Michael K just kind of made a, a straight point that when he was a minor leaguer in the Yankee system during spring training he had to drive an Uber car to like, you know, supplement his income. And he was very proud that he had a five-star rating because, you know, he'd always have charges for the phones, you know, for the people that he was driving around. He'd always have a bottle of water and gum and candy, whatever, all that kind of stuff. Like, that is... Not good. (laughs) Oh, like, and they just, it's just kind of like a straight fact. Like, oh, yeah, he did, he, he, he literally had to work a second job while a professional baseball player in spring training. And it just kind of said, like, you know, a little straight fact, like, it would be on the back of a baseball card. Like, it's, that's the type of stuff you got to be like, and this is why that's bad. Not Right, like, like, that should be a major scandal, you know? Like, that this professional player has to literally work a second job because he is not making enough money to live. And instead, it's just like a little tidbit on a broadcast. And that is the problem, is that perception needs to change. And I'm sure there's players, like, I think it was Adam Eaton was the player who I thought of, who I think of when we talk about this. But, like, he was kind of like, well, that's just how it is. Like, that's what the minors is. It's about grinding through. And it's like, well, it shouldn't be like that. Like, it's, I'm sure it's a turn. It, some people have etern- internalized it, not eternalized it. Have internalized it within themselves that this is actually good or whatever. Like the grind is worth it, or builds character, or some other bullshit like that. Yeah, like all stuff like that. The grind should be, you know, you're working out all the time and and your bus trips or whatever because that's just an unavoidable thing. And competing against your, you know, your teammates and your opponents and whatever that should be the grind, not fucking. Hmm. I have five hours. How am I going to feed myself for the day? You yeah, know? like, or like the food and that they've provided is like bread and peanut butter, you know. Right. And someone ate all the peanut butter. It's just, it's a problem with baseball in general, and they, if the game wants to grow more, they have to figure out how to fix it, mm-hmm. or have the desire to. I guess the better way. Because mm-hmm. they can, they could just throw money at it and it'll be fine. But no one, the only people who win are the minor leaguers. They're the people that everyone cares about the least. So, yep. 
with tying this back to the Mets, um, in Lee's article, he talks about a Mets player, a player in the Mets system who wanted to, you know, remain, remain anonymous because speaking out on this kind of stuff is tantamount to getting blacklisted. Love Grove, he's retiring, so he's a man with nothing to lose, but, you know, other players that don't rock the boat because... As they want to make the majors. <laughs> right. As we saw last year, it's, it was very simple to get rid of, you know, hundreds of players across the country with a snap. You know, entire teams just got thanos So, you know, it's... Even though these players all share these kinds of issues and concerns, you know, you very few are going to openly speak about them. But anonymously, this this Mets player in the system right now, he said that after the 2019 system, he became homeless. Um, and then over the next couple of months, he basically couch surfed with nothing to his name but his suitcase and his truck. And he worked part time when he could. But, you know, it's hard getting a job when, yeah. you know, you don't have a, a, a stable address or anything like that. And since he didn't have a stable address, he couldn't really get a stable job. And then without a job, he couldn't get a lease for an apartment when he was looking for one. So it's just basically a, a you're just stuck in like a black hole of, of shittiness. I don't even know what to call it. But the player in question, he said, quote, I didn't sleep for a week because all I could do is think about um, what I was going to do to just be able to stay alive to afford what I was going to do for, for groceries, to afford what I was going to do for gas, to afford how I was going to pay for my apartment. In terms of mental health, I struggled big time not knowing where the hell my next paycheck was coming from, end quote. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And early in the year, Steve Cohen he got called out by advocates from minor leaguers. Uh, it was back at the end of June when advocates from minor leaguers highlighted uh, in an infographic how little the Mets did for their minor leaguers, as opposed to the Phillies, who they happen to be playing that weekend. Philadelphia, they give their minor leaguers housing, stipends, they cover hotel costs, they paid players during during, um, extended spring training. The Mets did not do any of that, but additional reporting from the Daily News uncovered that players in Brooklyn actually were charged to stay at the uh, team hotel. Um, A small fee, a very nominal fee, but still just the principal. Steve Cohen responded, quote, we are looking into this and we will have a comprehensive response by late next week. And that deadline came and went. And we've since come to learn that some Mets players have gotten back pay for extended spring training. Some of the players had their salaries raised marginally for certain teams. And certain teams um, started having their housing and hotel expenses covered to some degree. But obviously... That all those things fall very, very far short of what needs to actually be done, you know. Um, and we, you know, all of this is anonymous, obviously, because it's such a sensitive thing. But because Advocates of Minor League Baseball was co-founded by Ty Kelly, they, you know, he's able to get, you know, he has connections and sources inside of the Mets organization in terms of coaches, players, whatever. So he was able to get, you know, opinion polls from a couple dozen guys in, in the system. And basically what the Mets players were looking for was to be paid year-round salaries instead of being paid May to September, to have their housing and hotel costs fully paid for, to have larger food, um, 
stipends and per diems to basically, you know, cover three meals a day instead of just one or two. Uh, they wanted access to off-season training that they don't have to pay for and just basically have their salaries adjusted to cover the cost of living in New York because, as you guys know, yeah, it, it's yeah. more expensive here than Topeka, Kansas. You couldn't imagine being a Cyclone. A Cyclones player <laughs> making minor league money and trying to like literally live in Brooklyn. You just live under the boardwalk, basically. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know what what you do, really. But uh, a year and a half ago, we did the math on episode sixty-two of our podcast, and it cost about like four to seven million dollars. We kind of estimated to literally fund every aspect of the minor leagues from salaries and meals and transportation and equipment and stadium upkeep, whatever, all that kind of stuff. So Russell Carlton from Baseball Prospectus, who actually used to work for the Mets. I was so, going to say, right? Yeah, so he has, a, again, a, a very close firsthand look at the inner workings of things. He crunched some more numbers a couple of weeks ago on the BP website, and he concluded that it would cost about another $7.5 million a year to basically – meet all those requests that the players are asking for, better salaries, better food, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we came to the conclusion that it cost about four to seven to just literally do what they're doing right now. For double that amount, or, a li- you know, a, a little more to double, depending on what number you want to go with, you could literally do what you're doing now and then fix all these issues. Fourteen million dollars. What does that get you in baseball nowadays? Like, yeah, an average player, maybe, maybe a little above average, but still, like, who cares? Right. It's one versus the marginal value spread out amongst, you know. Yeah, that's the difference for me. You can. With with this kind of stuff, you can turn, let's say, a Wilmer Flores or a Dom Smith, you know, guys who are kind of role players, into everyday players all of a sudden, who will, you know, generate that value that you've spent. And, you know, we know why it's never going to happen. Or, or I shouldn't say never, but we know why it's not happening now. But do you guys have any hope that this kind of stuff will change in our... Our our baseball fandom lifetimes, you know. I just don't know who puts the screws to the owners to make it happen. Because, like, if you're in the minor leagues, you, you can't because you have to try to... Like, I wouldn't if I was an active minor leaguer because I'd be like, shit, well, I want to make the major. You know what I mean? And, like, it's up to, like, the major leagues to do it, I guess, but... That, the major leaguers are going to worry about the major leaguers because they also have a lot of problems. Like, it's not like they are smooth sailing once you get up to the majors either because there's a lot of problems with how long it takes to get free agency and how arbitration sucks and how pe- how teams manipulate service time, which I guess is both a minor and a major league issue. But, like, it, things are just bad around baseball on the off-the-field portion of it. Yep. I mean, groups like Advocates for Minor Leaguers or More Than Baseball, you know, they can offer support and advocacy and everything like that. And it's definitely something that gets more news time now than it did a couple of years ago. Yes. But at the end of the day, you know, like Major League Baseball has such a monopoly over everything, such control over everything that, like, they can get shamed all they want. They don't care. You know, they're they're swimming in their Scrooge McDuck vault of, of gold coins, you know? Yeah. Just, you know, like, I don't know what will eventually get things to change. Uh, and, and it's very disheartening. You know, we, yeah, just we, cover, we cover the minor leagues, obviously, and I think that we also kind of try to look at things more than just like, okay, X player put up these numbers and that's the end of it. You know, like, we, we try to think of these guys as people and, you know, there's more to it than just the, the couple of months that they're playing baseball. And it just, it, just the whole thing sucks. You know, and we're not impacted in any way, really. And it just sucks that these guys have to 
deal with this kind of stuff. And it's like they're the only professional sports league that does. Like NHL minor leaguers or hockey minor leaguers, I should say, make good money. Uh, like if you're a career AHLer, which is the top level of the minors, you make decent, you make good money. And um, the G League has kids getting paid a lot. Like if you're, especially if you're skipping college and going right there, they're paying like bonuses to them and stuff. You get signing bonuses. And their salaries are higher too, and the NFL doesn't have anything. But like, this is like a baseball issue. It's not like every my. This isn't not how minor leagues work. It's just how the baseball minor leagues work. Right. I would go so far as to say that baseball is the only, you know, sports league out there that doesn't treat their development its development like the billion dollar corporation that it is. You know. Billion dollar and multi billion dollar entity that it is, and like even going beyond minor league stuff, like baseball is the only sport that like a team would actively keep down a Chris Bryant when they're definitely ready for the majors because they want to save a year of service time. Like a basketball team wouldn't care about that, a hockey team wouldn't, a, a, a football team wouldn't, you know, like. If a dude is good in the NHL, they're going to burn the year of the entry-level contract, you know? And mm-hmm. they will have him in the NHL if he's ready. And if he's not, they will send him down. Sometimes they'll manipulate it in certain ways where they are they are never going to be here in the first place, so they'll be able to do it that way, like if they're going to be overseas or something. But they're going to play if they're ready. And also, if they're not ready, then they're going to get paid more than a guy in AAA. So it's just... Like, there's roster manipulation in other sports where there's nothing like what they do in baseball either. And That's so blatantly, like, cost-shaving, you know? Yeah, and for what? Like, they the, the, the Cubs got that year of control for Chris Bryant to trade it while they yeah. were uncompetitive, so it didn't matter, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, who cares? <laughs> and, and, and they spent years, like, mad at each other about it. So, like, everyone was just a little pissed off at each other in the whole situation when they could have just called him up and... No one cared. Like the Pete Alonso thing. Like Brody, I don't think was a good GM, but he did right by them, by the minor leaguers in some respects. And that was one of them when he just let Pete made the when he just had Pete make the major league roster because he was the best first baseman. You know, who was the first baseman at that point? I don't even, was I don't even remember either. I know it's like jeez. <laughs> it might have been Dom, like as the incumbent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Because that, he came up first, and he had but, his like end of the year in 2018. Yeah, but it was very clearly that Pete was the guy for the job, so Brody was just like, hell yeah, he's we're trying to win, and he's the guy who makes us win, and that's how more teams... And then, like, I remember Rosenthal tweeted about how cool it was for the Mets. It's like, no, you should be shit-talking everyone else. Yeah. Like, yes, the Mets are doing the, the, the thing everyone should be doing. It's not right. It's just correct. Teams, I mean, there's a there's an incentive to lose better. I guess is a is a way of putting it. And I'm very guilty of it myself. I know the last couple of weeks, you know, I've been just wanting the Mets to lose and do. I mean, I think that's different though. But I mean, that's that that's the kind of mentality for not wanting to bring up these players. You know, look at look at the the Orioles and Adley Rushman. Like, there's no reason he's in the minor leagues. He should still be. He should have been called up a while ago. And he should probably make the team out of camp next year, and he won't. Yeah, exactly. Like, he'll be up in the majors next year, I'm sure, as in mysteriously he'll be done He'll be done working on his defense or whatever dumb thing they say. Like, Middle June. Yeah, right when Super 2's over, because it's always the defense, even though I think Pete really did need to work on his defense the year before he came up. But, like... And sometimes, like, Jared Kalenic was not ready in Seattle, and he was very clearly not ready. And even if they rushed, they could have let him debut anyway and show that he wasn't ready because he was very clearly past AAA. But, like, then no one bats an eye if he comes up and hits 170 in September, in April, then you send him back down, you know? Mm-hmm. Then you're like, oh, well, he, he wasn't good, you know? Just I don't know. A, it's, it's such a one. problem that there's no simple solution for and that's not even tackling this that 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 this is like a whole separate thing on top of the horrible conditions that they need to deal with yeah the, because it it would be less of a deal honestly yeah if if every syracuse met made like 
good money, then it wouldn't matter if they... No, I guess it would matter if they got their server time manipulated, but it would be less of a strike. Like, then I'd be like, okay, well, I still make good money here, and I'll play here for a month, and then I get called up, you know? But... You could deal with it. Yeah, like, not only do you get your service time manipulated, but you do, and also, you live in a hotel. <laughs> like, it's just, the minors are, I really like minor league baseball, because it's I find it fun, and I like seeing the guys rush through the system and get good and stuff like that, and, like, I remember like Syndergaard being a prospect and then he was his whole career went by as a Met and he might be done with the Mets now but then on the other hand it's like exploiting teenagers and young adults who don't have a choice and it just sucks it's the, the, the dark side of baseball yeah it really is dark side of the mound coming to vice <laughs> actually that would probably be really cool that would be really good. Yeah, like, there's a whole shit ton of baseball history and all kinds of shady stuff stuff going on. Vice is going to listen to this, and uh, Vice is one of our listeners, and uh, just Vice, like just Vice. <laughs> yeah, it gets Vice. sent out in an email blast. But um, they're gonna make it, and it's gonna be our idea. As long as we get executive credits, then that's cool. <laughs> All right, so this is our last, oh, yeah, that guy of the year, little sad. So I was thinking we need a fitting guy for such a failure of a season. And maybe it's just confirmation bias, maybe it's not, I don't know. But the Mets are an organization that goes above and beyond when it comes to colossal minor league failure. We have, you know... Going back decades to, you know, Steve Chilcott in 1966 and first overall draft pick and he didn't make it all the way to literally a couple of months ago and Kumar Rocker and just not signing him. And there's just so many examples to draw from. So I said to myself, you know, since it's our last one, it's got to be a good, oh, yeah, that guy. We're going to go with someone that was so hyped but completely forgotten about. We're going to go with the man, the legend himself, the teenage hitting machine, Fernando Martinez. Man. I remember thinking it was such a win when they got Johan and didn't trade him. Yep. <laughs> I was like, oh, absolutely, hell yeah. They fi- They somehow did that. And, I mean, honestly, at the time it was, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you give up Carlos Gomez, which at the time stung a little bit, but it's like, oh, that's yeah, because really, we still yeah. have Fernandez. Yeah, well, right, and he didn't him. really hit here, like, so I was like, oh, okay. But for Johan, and I mean, the trade's worth it either way, whoever you put in it. But right. But to have been able to hold on to Fernando, mm-hmm. icing on the cake, the the chef kiss, great. And yeah, that didn't uh, exactly work out. But Fernando, he was uh, signed out of Rio San Juan, which is a city in the northeast part of the Dominican Republic, for a then Mets record $1.4 million back in 2005. And immediately, he started getting all kinds of crazy comps as a 16-year-old. He was the next Carlos Beltran. He was the next Todd Helton. He was the next Edgar Martinez. He was the next A-Rod. He was the next Ted Williams. Oh, yes. Whenever you could comp a teenager to Ted Williams. You got to do it. Yeah. But uh, Ken Rosenthal from Fox Sports, he dubbed him the Teenage Hitting Machine, and that was that. And Such a good nickname. It is. It really is. Um, I don't know. I don't know. For reasons completely unknown to me, a.k.a. Omar Manaya. Fernando was not sent to the Dominican Summer League to start his professional career in 2006. He was not sent to the Gulf Coast Mets to start his professional career. He was not sent to the Kingsport Mets to start his professional career. He was not sent to the Brooklyn Cyclones to start his professional career. The Mets sent him to low A, Hagerstown, as a 17-year-old with no professional experience. Well, I mean, he's a teenage hitting machine. Exactly. 
Uh, he was playing against guys who were on average 4.8 years older than him. But, and this is really crazy when you think about it. In 45 games there, as a 17-year-old who's never played professional baseball before, playing against guys who are, have years of experience in the minor leagues or in college, in those 45 games, he hit 333, 389, 505. I mean, it was the right call. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the crazy part. Is that it worked. Um, he cooled down a little bit when he was sent to high A. But, again, that's kind of understandable, given that he was now facing guys that were on average six years older than him. I mean, at that point, I don't even care what he does at high A. Right, I know. It's like, you're a 17-year-old in high A. Like, whoa, okay. Um, But, yeah, that would basically be a recurring theme in... Young Fernando's minor career being aggressively pushed for no real reason, and then that eagerness kind of turning into a, a hindrance in his baseball development. And another recurring theme would be that he would get injured a lot. Um, in the three years that he spent in the minors prior to his MLB call-up, he appeared in 73 games, 63 games, and 90 games. So that's like three-quarters of a season, half a season, and three-quarters of a season. But despite all that, coming into the 2009 season, he um, was 20, he was in AAA, and he was a cumulative 279, 337, 424 hitter, which is, I mean, I guess only a teenage hitting machine could do that. (laughs) And then in his first 45 games with Buffalo at the beginning of the season, he had a very healthy 290, 337, 540. And then he got his first MLB call up in late May when the late great Ryan Church went on the DL. Was that the but, concussion? No, it was the year after the concussion. I don't know what the issue was with him, but just a regular DL stint. And Fernando got about 100 at-bats. Um, and he struggled, I guess, because at this point he was 20 and was not a teenager anymore. So he couldn't be a yeah. teenage hitting machine. He was just a regular... <laughs> But he ended up um, you know, playing, getting those 100 at-bats, and then he tore his meniscus, and that was the end of his 20, uh, 2009 season. In 2010, he spent the majority of the year of Buffalo. He missed a month because of injury. And then when he did get a call to the Mets at the end of the year, you know, again, he didn't hit much. 2011, same thing. Uh, though he did get a few more chances at the MLB level, but he just couldn't, he just, it just wasn't sticking. So at the end of 2011, the Mets put Martinez on waivers, and he was claimed by the Houston Astros. And especially at the time, it was like a mind-boggling decision that they put him on waivers and yeah, just kind of gave up on him. I mean, even now, I would, I wouldn't have given up on him that fast, just because right. of how good he was at such a young age in the mm-hmm. upper minors. And when they gave, when they put him on waivers, he was still 23. He was only a couple of years removed from being a consensus, you know, top prospect in baseball. And even though he wasn't great, he was still putting up slightly above average, uh, numbers in AAA according to WRC plus. So like on one hand, what are you doing? But on the other hand, he failed every time he got an MLB opportunity. He was hurt a lot. And he was diagnosed with arthritis in his knee, and that's a kind of chronic. It's weird to say it's a chronic injury, but it's a chronic condition that you know it's never going to get better and will only get worse. But you know, 2011, that's the transition. That's when Omar and and the old regime is gone, and Sandy and the new regime is here, and they just you know just cut ties and wanted to start new. So in Houston. It was pretty much the same thing for Fernando. He got to uh, a decent to good start in AAA, but he struggled in the majors. In 2013, he got traded to the Yankees, and he was sent to their AAA team, Scranton. And again, he hit well, but then he got hit with a 50-game suspension because his name came up in the Biogenesis investigation. And basically, that would be the end of his major league uh, career. Never would play again for a major league team or a major league affiliated team, but he did continue playing baseball. He played in the Dominican Winter League and in the Mexican League from 2014 until 2017. And in addition, he also played for Team Spain 
um, in events like the European Baseball Championship and the World Baseball Classic and the Olympics, but he has not played for them since 2019. They have rosters, you know, this year and the Olympics and everything, and Fernando was not part of that, so. Despite being out of baseball for like a decade now, though, he is only 32, which is still crazy. And he, he turns 33 in a couple of days on October uh, 10th. But, you know, you know his baseball career is definitely over. Uh, hopefully he invested his money well and, and he has his health and whatever because arthritis is no joke. But Yeah, that sucks. Do you think the Mets is early... 2010 teams and mid-2010 teams would be any different if Fernando had worked out. Maybe he wouldn't be a superstar. He was not going to be the next Ted Williams, necessarily. Or even, uh, you know, Carlos Beltran. That's just your opinion, man. (laughs) (laughs) But had he worked out and been somewhere in a tier below Ted Williams and Carlos Beltran, do you think that would have really changed anything? Do you think that the Mets would have probably just traded him for something stupid. I don't know. You never know how good he could have gotten. He could have been, like, a legit, very good major league player. What we do know, though, is those teams were not very good for the majority yeah. of the early to mid-2010s. Oh. Even if it's, like, another fun Met, though, you know? Imagine a Mets team with David Wright, stayed healthy, Jose Reyes never left. In the outfield, you have... Fernando Martinez, you have perennial all-star Lastings Millage, <laughs> Mike Pelfrey was Matt Harvey, and Matt Harvey was Mike Pelfrey with the splitter, and you know, what what a wonderful... Can Marlon Bird still be around in this scenario? Sure, why not? Alright, cool. Only his one good year, though. I loved Marlon Bird, like, oh, oddly. Like, I Yeah. Yeah, I love that Marlon Bird season. Like he was one of my favorite Mets that year. And then he got caught caught because he was roiding. <laughs> like he like literally right away. It happens. I mean, hey, he got extra money. Like he got paid from that season, so good for him. Yep. And the Mets got Dilson Herrera. Yep. It all worked out. Which turned into Jay Bruce. Worked out. Right. Marlon Bird for Jay Bruce, who says no. All right, now let's end things with the Will Ponery of the Week. And I think that the Will Ponery of the Week has to go to Devin Williams. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Dude had a pretty good season after, like, a record-setting rookie of the year last year. And it's Mets adjacent. Yeah. he's He's been an important part of the Brewers' bullpen. Uh, and then Milwaukee Brewers, they clinched. After beating up the Mets, and they were celebrating, and he punched a fucking wall and broke his hands. <laughs> I got to say, I've never been so excited about something that I'm just punching stuff. Well, didn't he say that he got drunk and upset? Oh, I didn't hear that part. I thought that was the story. I could be wrong. Just wild. I mean, what are you upset about, though? What's to be upset about? You just clinched. Yeah. But he gave the best quote, though. When asked about the incident, he said, quote, If I could take it back, I would. Huh. <laughs> yeah, no shit. That's really funny. Yep. That's just like, that's absolutely some shit that'll happen to a man. Like, straight up. Still not as good, though, as the Joel Jemaya <laughs> guitar hero. Oh, the, the uh, hurting his forearm playing guitar hero? That would be a Mets gun. It's just, it's. I'd be so mad <laughs> if I was his teammate. If literally, I, I know he's mad too. So like, I'm not saying he's like sitting around laughing about it, but maybe he shouldn't be mad because that's kind of what got him in this situation in the first place. <laughs> but yes, if if he could take it back, he would. Right. Well, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complexofqueens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I am at Steve Sleiper. Lucas is at Elvahus343. 
Ken is at Ken Levin ninety one, and Thomas is at said Met Season S Z N. I don't know why, but whenever I do this part, I always have to fight the urge to yawn. It's very weird. I think it's like Pavlovian Lee been conditioned to me at this point. I don't know, but anyway, subscribe to the podcast where you got your podcast from, rate and review them, and of course, we thank you for listening. So we'll be back next week, and until then, love the Mets. <laughs> <laughs>